Amen. Hey, uh, grab a seat. And as you grab a seat, get a Bible in front of you uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and a seat back in front of you, uh, grab one of those black hardcover Bibles there. If you don't own a Bible, leave with that. That's our gift to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, as you get settled there, um, all of us in the room are deeply, deeply thankful for the people God has put in our life who called us to something greater. All of us in the room are thankful for the people God put in our path who called us to something greater. And that could be in any area of our life. Uh, maybe uh, God brought a teacher or a coach or our parents or grandparents or mentors into our life who saw something and called us to something greater. Uh, 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 kind of quick story on that. Uh, my senior year, I, I grew up as a wrestler. I know you don't get it. You don't not write. You don't understand why. But I grew up a wrestler. And um, my senior year at high school, uh, we got a new wrestling coach. This guy was a college All-American. He was an Olympic alternate. Translation, he was really, really good. Uh, he had spent his coaching career at the collegiate level at Michigan State University. He wanted a bit slower pace of life, so he came down to coach high school wrestling. And I still hear these, these, this, this phrase he used to say all the time. I can still picture being in the wrestling room and him walking around the room going, the human body can go so much much farther than your mind will allow it to go. And I'm like, dude, what are, you're crazy, man. And I still hear the human body can go so much farther than your mind will allow it to go. And as the year went on, began to, 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 to grow into that and to realize, man, I thought I was working hard, but there's a whole nother level of hard work. And all of us have had those people in our path in all different ways who called us to something greater. Now, I start with that because this passage today has the opportunity. I'm fired up. Okay, y'all ready? Buckle up. I'm fired up for today. By Tuesday morning, I was fired up. And I know when I'm fired up by Tuesday, it's a fire hose come Sunday, okay? <laughs> this passage has a great opportunity to call us to something greater in our followership of Jesus Christ. Like this passage can call us today out of some, some shallow understanding of a shallow commitment, a, a commitment to Jesus that's just enough to appease our conscience, but not any more than that. And as we get to sit in as Paul, the spiritual mentor or spiritual father, writes to his spiritual son some very specific um, instructions to Timothy as his son. We get to sit in the room, so to speak, to, to, to glean what Paul has to say to Timothy. And so uh, we're going to make our way from verse 6 to verse 16. And I believe everything that Paul's writing here is culminating in what we see in verse 16. Verse 16 says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Today is all about this. Good servants of Christ, watch their life and doctrine with great diligence and discipline. Good servants of Christ watch their life and their doctrine with great diligence and discipline. And now between the, in these 10 verses we're going to study, there's, there's like five ways that we're going to see Paul is calling Timothy to a watchfulness, a diligent watchfulness over his life, how he's living, and over his doctrine, what he's believing. And we get the great privilege of sitting in on this and gleaning what the Lord has for us in this today. And so if I can, let me pray and let's get right into it. Father, uh, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for what it's going to call us to today. God, we're thankful that uh, you're going you're gonna to raise the bar of discipleship, so to speak. 
You're going to call us to something greater in our following after of you, Jesus. And so uh, we pray. God, I pray uh, that what inspires us today are not just words preached for a time here, but the words of your word driven into our heart by the power of your spirit that will leave a lasting impact as we walk out of this room today. Do it for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen. These five ways, we're going to be called to a deeper watchfulness, a diligent watchfulness of our life and doctrine. first one is this. We train and teach on the good doctrine. If we're going to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, we need to be watchful and we need to examine how we're training and how we're teaching on the good doctrine. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. Paul writes to Timothy, If you put these things before the brothers... That word there is a reference to the church as a whole, the brothers and sisters. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, let's unpack this verse here a second. He says, if you put these things before the brothers or before the brothers and sisters, what are the these things that Paul's talking about? I believe it's, it's the breadth of everything he's been instructing up to this point. If you remember last week, even in what we study, Paul is, uh, uh, Paul is, is pleading with Timothy to bring back the right instruction of the simple gospel message. That the church there would no longer be led astray by those who are seeking to lay down the law on top of the gospel. And, and now, now Paul is exhorting Timothy, put these things before the brothers. Bring the pure teaching of the simple gospel before them. And then he says, if you do, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. I want us to notice here that this idea of training. This isn't the only place in the passage we're going to come across this idea of training. It says, if you do this, you'll be a good servant of Jesus being trained. Now, if you would, because I really want us to understand this, if you let your eyes go down to verse 7, when we get there, right in the middle of the verse, you're going to see the word train again. That phrase is going to say, rather, train yourself for godliness. And so twice in this passage, we have in our English Bibles this idea of training or train. Now, when we read that, we often think, right, that's got to be the same, that's got to be the same word in the original language, doesn't it? Everyone say no, because you know I'm setting you up, right? No, it's not. In fact, what we see in verse 6, when it says, being trained in the words of the faith, it's the only time in the New Testament that word appears. And it's a different word in the original language than the word of train we're going to come across in verse 7. This idea of being trained in verse 6, it's an idea of being raised up in or being nourished on. And so now I, 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 I went there because it, it matters. When it says you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained, being raised up in, being nourished on the words of the faith and of the what? And of the what? And of the, come on. And of the good doctrine, we must be people training in good doctrine, nourishing with good doctrine, being raised up in good doctrine. 
In fact, what we just saw exhibited of, of parents and kids lined up from stair to stair up here is a commissioning them to nourish their homes, to train up their homes in good doctrine. There is no right living for Jesus without a right understanding of the doctrine that this whole faith is built on. And, 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 and so when we come to this first idea here, this first call that we train in and we pass on, we teach the good doctrine. This is a call for us to roll up our sleeves in how we attack good doctrinal soaking in of the Word of God. Notice, I'm not calling us to just read our Bibles. You're like, you're not? No, that and so much more. My question is, is are you training in the good doctrine? Not just reading our Bibles, but understanding our Bibles in which we're reading. I'm calling us away from microwave devotionals. And I'm calling us to the wonderful joy of sitting in a chair and mining the depths of the Word of God. Do you know you can take one sentence of God's Word and you can mine it for a week and you're just scratching the surface? This is the type of commitment Paul is calling Timothy to be trained in the words of the faith. Be trained in the good doctrine. Nourish yourself in it. Grow up in it. And now I get, like, right, I can hammer the exhortation of a passage, right? But some of you are like, I know, I know, I want to. Please help. Because when I open up to the book of Levi Ticus, I have no idea what it's saying. <laughs> and I get so lost in job, right? <laughs> Please help me. Pastor, I hear you up there. You're getting after it. You're like, come on, mine the text. I don't know how to mine. I don't know what I'm doing. I remember being there. In many ways, I'm still there. Where I come to certain passages, and, and often in the mornings you'd find me in a, in a chair in our sitting room, and Erica's on the couch in the sitting room, and there are, moment, there are mornings, it's beautiful, we're both, you know, still groggy-eyed, and she's come across a passage, or I've come across a passage, and we just look at each other, and we go, what, oh God, what in the world does this mean? Help us. And so if you're there, and you're like, I want to mine, I want to be trained up in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine, can I get some help? Yes, please. A couple things on that note. You may know someone who you're like, man, they, they know how to mine the word. Would you go ask them to help teach you how to mine? Really, it's an awesome, bold request, but it could be one of the most fruitful requests or, or asks that you'll ever make in your life. Will you help me learn how to mine the text? Will you help me to learn how to mine the Bible? Will you help me to be trained in the good doctrine? And how beautiful would it be if that person just invites you in to go, hey, I, I do my quiet time at 5.30 in the morning. I'll see you there tomorrow. And you're like, okay, okay, all right. Or yes, let's meet together. Let's talk about how we mine. And now some of you might go, I don't know anyone. Would you just even pull that register back out and even just make a note on that register? Will you help me? Will you put someone in my life who can help train me in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine? And we'll do our best we can to put our heads together and go, who is God calling 
to be paired up, to be trained in the good doctrine. So this first point that we, we train in and, and pass on the good doctrine, it's this understanding of being nourished in or being raised up in. But as I've already pointed out, this isn't the only kind of training that Paul is calling Timothy to. Verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I love this. He's like, Timothy, don't get bogged down in stuff that's not real. Don't get all caught up in stuff that doesn't matter. How many times do we get caught up in stuff that doesn't matter? I'll, I'll, I'll scroll a, a Google News feed, right? And how easy it is, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't know the news. We should. We should be well informed as followers of Jesus. But how easy it is to get pulled down a rabbit hole of stuff that's just irreverent, silly myths. It says, don't, don't have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, have everything to do this. Rather, train yourself for what? Come on, church. Train yourself for what? For godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way. In what way? In every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Second, second way we're, we're looking at our lives today. We're watching. We're evaluating our lives. Second thing, we train ourselves for godliness. I remember we came across this word. And I think I said last week, if I remember right, this word is in this letter like nine times. Godliness, nine times. Um. The idea of godliness, a really helpful way that I was reading over the last couple of weeks that helped me, it's a God-centeredness. Godliness is a God-centeredness. So as I said last week, if we want to have a godly life, it's a life centered on God. If we want to have a godly marriage, it's a life centered on God. We want to be godly parents, life centered on God. We want to live out the vocational calling of our life, it's a, it's a vocational calling centered on God. But notice that this is to be trained in. Train yourself for godliness. Uh, now, this idea of the word train, the, the Greek word is the same root of where we get our English word, gymnasium. It, it, Alistair Begg talks about this kind of training in this way. Strenuous self-discipline. Do you know, listen to me, listen to me now, listen to me, everyone listening? God calls us to spiritual, strenuous self-discipline. Sometimes I think, sometimes I think, right, in our, in our um, passion for the purity of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith. Amen? This is not our own doing. Amen? It's the gift of God. Amen? Not by works so that no one can boast. Amen? So we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by strenuous self-discipline for godliness. You know that? But you know what God does? When he puts a new heart in someone and dwells them with his spirit, he creates a fire in that person for strenuous self-discipline of godliness. Do you know self-discipline for godliness, training in godliness, is not antithetical to the gospel, but an outpouring of a byproduct of the gospel? Come on. And we are being called, Paul is calling Timothy to strenuous self-discipline for godliness. 
He's calling him to train himself for godliness. My question for us is when's the last time we've broken a spiritual sweat? Because he does something in this passage that's beautiful. He helps us understand what he's talking about with this idea of training when he gives us an illustration of physical training. He says in verse 8, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. And so he's, he's calling us to think about the times we have given ourselves to strenuous self-discipline bodily. You ever trained for a 5K? You ever trained for the mini? You ever trained for a marathon? Some of you are like, no, are you crazy? Some of you have a past or even currently you, you, you lift weights. Others of you, you, you live out vocational callings in which training of strenuous physical training is part of your vocational calling. I want you to think about the way it feels to give yourself to strenuous self-discipline. Now I want to ask the question again. When's the last time you've broken a spiritual sweat? Because having... Having um, no training plan for godliness, having no training plan for godliness is just like buying a treadmill but never using it. How many of us have bought a treadmill and it just turns to this albatross thing of a clothes hanger, right? Now, I'm not coming at you. I'm with you in this. I always see the new and latest workout equipment or workout program and I'm like, Erica, I got to have that. If I just get that, I'll be shredded. <laughs> and she's like, how about just use the last three things you already bought? <laughs> but but I, I want us to understand something. We're called to something here. We are called to train ourselves for godliness. What is your godliness training plan? And do you have a community around you who can serve as, you know, godliness spiritual trainers of the sort? What's your plan this week for workouts in the Word of God and for workouts in prayer? What's your plan this week for workouts in fellowship? What's your plan this week for workouts in witnessing to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's your plan this week to work out just being obedient to the thing the Spirit's been convicting you to be obedient on? What's the plan? And how will we train ourselves for godliness? He calls us to it. So can we break a spiritual sweat this week? And, and, and hold the email. I already know the email's coming. Is that legalism? No. It's not legalism. It's the outflow of hearts who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ who love him with their whole hearts and who can't fathom of giving themselves to anything greater than an abandonment to following him. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not laying a legalism down in front of you because that's the opposite of what this whole letter is about. I'm calling us to an outflow from the gospel of strenuous self-discipline for godliness to the glory of God. Now, there will be no training for godliness if our hope is not set on God. So this is exactly where Paul goes next. 
Verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That's a repeated phrase throughout this book. Now, the question with this one is, is this, is verse 8 the trustworthy saying or is what is coming in verse 10 the trustworthy saying? Really, really smart people, smarter than I, can argue really convincingly on both sides. I have thoughts, but it doesn't change the meaning of the passage. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. Look at those words. For to this end we we toil and strive. Because we have our what? We have our hope set on who? Christian, your hope is set on the living God. Who is the savior of all people especially of those who believe. Third thing, we set our hope on the living God. Our hope is set on the living God. Now what is hope for the Christ follower? What is hope for the Christ follower? I love the way a friend of mine, uh, he's part of our discipleship group, said it a couple weeks back. He said, uh, we, we as Christians don't have a hope so hope. You follow that? We don't have a hope so hope. And I hope so. I hope everything that I've staked my life on is real. The hope for the believer is an assured hope. It's a solid rock. C.E.B. Cranfield says it like this. And if you have three first initials, you're super smart, okay? C.E.B. Cranfield says this. Hope is that confident anticipation of that, of that which we do not yet see. It's the confident anticipation. Are we hoping rightly? Do we have the confident anticipation of that which we do not yet see? This is the hope of the believer. We have a fixed hope. We have an assured hope. We have a hope that will not shift with the sands of the, t- of wor- of the world. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. So Christian, our hope doesn't rise and fall with rising inflation and plummeting stocks, theoretically speaking. Our hope is not based on acceptance or rejection of a particular group. Our hope does not wax or wane with the victories of life or the defeats of life. Our hope does not rise on the next achievement that we achieve or does not fall with the next failure in which we walk through. Our hope is built on the living God. The living God. Not fake dead gods, not idols, our hope is built on the living God. This God is explained deeper in the verse here as this, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now what in the world does that mean? That's become a a bit of a a theological puzzle through the years. Let me tell you what I think it means. Um, It doesn't mean what the universalists want it to mean. 
What I mean by universalists is those who argue that everyone will be saved. doesn't matter. All roads lead to heaven. It doesn't mean that there are people who are especially saved and then everyone else will just be saved. It doesn't, it doesn't unpack a, a tiered view of salvation that there's the unsaved and then there's the saved and then there's those the especially saved. What does that mean? Instead, I believe it teaches what the totality of the teaching of the New Testament teaches. David Murray, a pastor and theologian from West Michigan, he helps us understand what we have translated here in our English version as the word especially. He says this is a statement of precision. It can also be translated as this, that is, or to be precise. And so this living God is the Savior of and all the young Christians said, every young Christian's favorite verse. Well, and we'll use young relatively, okay, right? Let no one despise you for your youth. We love this as young Christians. Rightfully so. There should not be a despising for youth. I was 21 years old when the Lord planted in our heart a dream to plant a church. Pastor DJ and I, we'd go on jogs at 21 years old. We'd talk about where God, when God, all of this. We believed in our heart of hearts. We'd go plant a church tomorrow, baby. I flew Erica to Raleigh, North Carolina, and we were like, I was like 22 years old. She was 20 years old to spend a day asking, God, is this where you would call us to plant a church? We'll move down here right now. We'll do it. Let's go plant. Let's go plant. Let's go start a church. Our wise, older mentors would tap me on the, pat me on the back and say, Brock, you're not ready yet. And I'd say, do not despise me for my youth. <laughs> what I did not understand is this was not a matter of my age. It was a matter of my lack of understanding of the second part of the verse. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Can I ask a big question with a big word that has a big meaning? Are you living an exemplary life? No, do that after I ask it, okay? You got to do that. Are you living an exemplary life? Isn't that weighty, though? Like, young, look at me, young Christians in the room. I'm still like 34. I think I'm relatively young. My kids keep pointing out the gray hair, though. Are we living an exemplary life? And if you like me, I'm cut to the quick by the first thing he lists in speech. James says this, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Man, that cuts, doesn't it? But what a gift we have from God. Not, not for us to wallow in shame and go, well, I fall so short. But to be inspired to a depth of godly living that God calls us to be. 
Let no one despise you for your youth. But yes, let's set the believers an example in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. And you know what I'm thankful for in this church right here? We have a whole bunch of young people who are pursuing God wholeheartedly to this end. And it's fun to watch. But we're to set the believers an example in godly living. Finally, last thing. As we watch our life, as we examine our life, as we let the word of God call us to the depth of following Jesus that the Lord has for us, we devote ourselves to what he's called us to and gifted us for. Let me, let me give that some context here. Verse 13. Paul writes, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Isn't that beautiful? I want you to look back at what he said in verse 13. Until I come, what's the next word? Until I come, verse 13, until I come, devote. Until I come, Timothy, devote yourself. Give yourself to these things. Give yourself to the calling from God. Give yourself to what you've been gifted by God to do. What was that for Timothy? The public reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Paul is exhorting him, preach the word. Stand before the people. Say what the word says. Exhort the people in it. Teach them in it. And then he says, uh, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Paul is saying to Timothy, do what God has called you to do and what God has gifted you for. And I look at us today as the church of the living God, and I say, do what God has called you to do and has gifted you for. If you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you've been gifted by the Spirit with spiritual gifts that are to be used, to be exercised for the building up of the church of the living God. Do what God has called you to do. Do what God has gifted you for. The health of this household depends on it. So, so, so this, right, this, this gets at some, some rhythms that can be built into the American church structure. It can be so easy for us to just show up to a Sunday service, sit in a seat, absorb those, the, the, the preaching and the worship, and to leave. We have to act like a household. We have to figure out how we do life together. Because it's in our doing life together that all of a sudden, in the context of community, we will begin to see how God has gifted certain people. And we'll be able to go, when you do that, we're better. Man, I'm just looking out at faces here, and I just think, oh my goodness. How when we do what God has called us to do and gifted us for, how the church of the living God is built up. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. But it means we got to engage in the body life of the church. It, it means we got to engage in the family activity. And it's within the context of that community that we'll begin to see in one another what God has called us to and gifted us for. Watch, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. 
Timothy, be watchful. Evaluate how you're living and what you're believing, what you're passing on, and what you're teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen? This is what we've been called to today. To not just read our Bibles, to not just be okay with our microwave Jesus calling devotion and on we go, but to be trained in the good doctrine. To, to, to not just exercise godliness in the lowest possible way I can to appease my, appease my conscience, but to give ourselves to strenuous self-discipline to be trained in godliness. Not to set our hope on the shifting sands of all the stuff of this world, but to look to the bedrock of who our living God is and to plant the flag of our hope there. Not to be okay with just looking side to side to go, how am I doing with godly living based on those around me, but to set the believers an example in speech and life and love and faith and purity. And not to just be okay being spectators who come to sit in the living room of the house and then leave to do no more, but to roll up our sleeves and give ourselves to what God has called us to and gifted us for. Let's go. A church, a household of the living God like that. Amen? And let's give ourselves to it. If you would, stand to your feet. Good servants of Christ, watch their life and doctrine with great diligence and discipline. My prayer for us is that we would take these verses right here. We would lay them in front of us all week long. And we would say, Lord Jesus, Lord of the church, call me to this. Show me where I am falling so far. Show me where I'm lagging behind of what you would call a follower to be. Call me to this, God. Equip me for this, God. Let me not settle for a shallow understanding of what it means to follow you. Let's get after it to the glory of God for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Let's sing his praises right now.